What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of the Premier League Podcast here on FanRag Sports with me, Sebastian Noren, Paulie Christel, and Elliot Niblock. And we're going to go straight into Alexis Sanchez joining Manchester United and Henrik Mkhitaryan going the other way to Arsenal, as this is the biggest story of the day. Yay, no blowback from Paulie. Great, <laughs> great. I mean, Marco yeah. Silva got fired. Did we talk about that already? I don't even know when that happened. That is not the biggest story, though. We finally uh, got it. We finally got it. Alex- Alexis is done. No, yeah. why? I mean, oh, that's bad because we just signed him for a lot of money. Um, no, I mean done deal. <laughs> Boo. No, Silva got sacked yesterday or two days oh, ago. We, we have yeah, two days about ago. It yet. No, we haven't talked <laughs> since about our, it since our last show for sure. Yeah, but let's start with Alexis. Signing a four and a half year contract with Manchester United. They're going to pay him a lot of money. Uh, Mkhitaryan signed a three and a half year deal with Arsenal. So they're swapping 29 year olds. Who is the better 29 year old? Well, I'm going to let, okay, because we have, we have two, obviously, two Red Devils and one Gunner on this podcast. So you you guys give your two cents first. Well, you also have a Polly who's been following Mkhitaryan since the Dortmund days. Yeah, that's true. It's a, Never really been a fan not, of him, though. <laughs> not exactly his, uh, what was it, like FC Pulisic? Puli- it, it's funny because the name of his Armenian club was very similar to the name Pulisic, but it's not quite. Uh, let's see here. Either way. Yes. Um, yeah, no, it's just, like I've said before, though, it's like flexing your muscles on Arsenal, which is fun. We're paying a lot of money for a 29-year-old. Um who, you know, has only played in like 600 matches in the last four years and traveled about 9,000 miles to get to each of them. Um, I do find it ironic that he finally leaves Arsenal and he's going to get a summer off. I like, we do, we do get him when he's actually going to have a summer vacation for the first time in forever. Um, yeah, like, but it's, he's 29, so he's got no resale value. I, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out where he's going to fit into the team. I would like him to actually, like, to just move around into different places, like play behind Lukaku, play out wide one day, play instead of Lukaku. But we know that's not going to happen. Like, God forbid Lukaku is ever going to get rested. Yeah, even if Lukaku would be rested, I don't know if I would want to see Sanchez play up front. I would rather, yeah, no, I'd I rather, would rather see rather Martial see or Rashford. Or, yeah. or Martial. But, you know, if we're going to have, if we're going to be putting, I think Mourinho would, would play Sanchez down the middle before he played Martial or Rashford. He just loves the f- keeping those kids on the wing. Which is um, so ridiculous. But. It's so ridiculous. And that's the thing. So also, so now it's just like, why'd we get him? Like, we got him because we had games where we weren't scoring goals, and now it's, oh, Sanchez is going to be here to score goals. Except here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a game where you play with Pogba and and maybe Juan Mata, or if not Mata, then maybe Anthony Martial, in which case on the other side will be Marcus Rashford. And up top is going to be Lukaku. And behind him is going to be Alexis Sanchez. And you're going to have all that talent on the field, and we're still going to try to win the game one freaking nil. <laughs> and what's going to happen is teams are going to play against that, and you're pretty much just bringing in this guy to be an, another guy who when the team can't score, you're just saying, hey, like let's rely on one of these guys to do something remarkable and try to get us that one goal that we need to win when it's like, hey, why don't you do what City's doing with all that attacking talent and be like, we're going to score seven. We're going to yeah. try to score seven every goddamn game. Well, here's the thing. 
So the thing is, though, th- all right, I'm going to play a little bit devil's advocate here because I think that Alexis Sanchez's personal disposition and qualities make him a fantastic individualist. And by, you know, the same token, make him perhaps the ideal candidate for, okay, we're going to shut up shop, park the bus, and hope that we get a moment of magic from somewhere. He's, I think he's actually a good signing for United, particularly because of that. Also, in addition to that, I think that there's no one will ever... No one should say, at least, that Alexis Sanchez is inferior to Mkhitaryan anyway. He's, he's definitely out and out the better of these two players. But at the same time, I still think that this is a move that overall, despite that, you know, F.U. Arsenal, F.U. Arsene Wenger, I still think it's a move that suits Arsenal much better than Manchester United. I don't know. I see, I it, as a, I see it as a win-win. I really do. In some ways it is. But I I see it as reason... a win-win for both players. I don't think it's a win-win for both clubs. And I don't even I don't know if it's a win for either club. Okay. Well, United uh, well, we'll see how it goes on the pitch, but at least as far as we know United now bringing in big names, they want to have this you know, they want to sell some shirts here. They can sell some shirts with Alexis. Yeah, no Mkhitaryan's shirt, I'm not sure that's sold too well. No, it was that was a big signing at the time, and people bought it. Yeah, but Alexis coming in, give, being given the number seven, that's a big thing. Well, and here the thing is, this is why I think that even though, as I just said, Alexis is objectively the stronger of the two players who are the same age. Even though I just said I think that that individualism that is kind of part and parcel of his disposition as a football and footballer in general might fit well with Mourinho's tactics. Nonetheless, I think Arsenal got the better deal simply because of how backed into a corner they were with Sanchez. Oh yeah. They and, got, they got, I mean, this is a very good, sorry for cutting you off there, but I mean, this is basically a dream scenario for them instead yeah, of, oh, and instead because- of having to just sell San- Sanchez now and, then go out on the market and try to find a replacement. Now they just get a player that is still a very solid player in that deal. And that's the thing, is that even if even if City had ponied up the cash and said, okay, fine, we'll go above our 20 million price tag, we'll give you 25, 30, 35, whatever. Like, time and again, we have seen Arsenal supporters begging, pleading, screaming and gnashing their teeth to turn that bank account into players on the pitch. And that money doesn't win you games. And if Mikatarian gets even turns even one draw into three points, then that's infinitely okay, more thing, like, than money that Stan Kroenke's just gonna spend on another freaking mega ranch in Texas. You you got a like you got a player back, so you've invested that money in a player back, but Mikatarian has been around now for a year and a half and has never really established himself as a player that can actually play in the Premier League. He, well, he had that blistering start to the season this year. Five assists in the first three games. Two of them were corners. Two of them were corners where he just took a corner and put it in the box. He went, his form went, took a nosedive when Pogba got hurt. Last season, he never really established himself in the league. Most of his stats came in the Cups against lower-level opposition. In the league, He had some good runs in the League Cup, and he had some good runs against some poor teams in the FA Cup. 
he was very good in the Europa League. So you got yourself a player that, um, and this isn't meant to be uh, putting it down or, or, you know, he's a player that can compete in the Europa League and he can help you win the Europa League. And that's, yes. that is a good thing. But the fact that, you know, you can't say, well, he's settling in with his team and everything because it was, it was unbelievable. Like Thursdays, he'd go out there and he's the best player on the field. And then Sunday, he's out there with the same group of guys around him and he looked lost. So there are serious questions as to whether he will ever adapt to the Premier League because it did take him a year to adapt to Germany, but he still hasn't adapted to England yet. The other question that I have is, can he play at the same time as Ozil? Well, I I think the answer to that is yes, but that's related to two questions that I have that, you know, the answer of which we'll only find on the pitch. Relatedly, number one, can he, as you were just speaking of, combine with Ozil in a way that is productive in a similar way that he has demonstrably combined with Paul Pogba, even though Ozil and Pogba are different players. And I think that Ozil is probably more similar to Mkhitaryan than Pogba. I nonetheless think that they might be able to work well together. Number two, and then, you know, that this is this is the biggest, is A, do Arsenal sign Obama Yang? B, can he combine with the Gabonese striker in any even well, that vaguely similar way? Yeah, that he can. I can assure you he can do that. The issue is, is that you, you know, what happens to Lacazette when you sign Obama? That he is an extremely expensive bench warmer, and that's fine because, you know, that's exactly what the other Arsenal is- needs to have in order to compete in the Premier League in this day and age. So you're already calling your your premier signing from the summer, you're already calling him a bust? No, I'm not saying that at all. He's an extremely expensive bench warmer. That doesn't mean that he can't come out of the gate in a similar fashion to, speaking of, Mesut Ozil in his second season in the Premier League and put up fantastic numbers in a way that he has clearly failed to do so so far this year. Right? Like, right, I think- but by next year, but by next year, so the thing is that Lacazette still has to play in the Europa League because Aubameyang's not eligible for that. Um, yes, that's true. Let's say Aubameyang lights it up on fire right out of the gate because, frankly, he's not going to be playing in any pressured games because Arsenal are – where are they? Are they they're sixth, and he's not – they're out of the FA Cup. Uh, they're – I guess he could play in the uh, League Cup final if, he, if they make yeah. it to that. Um, and, you know, the Premier League is – maybe they're back in the top four race. He can't play in the Europa League. What I just, like, you know, when, when does Lacazette get another chance? Because, you know, Aubameyang is – is a different player. And if he can build that connection that he had with Mkhitaryan at, at Dortmund, which they had one because Mkhitaryan had like 20 assists in his last season there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, would, does Lacazette ever get another chance? Absolutely. Because he is almost precisely two years younger than Aubameyang. And I mean, that's, that to me is the biggest thing here. Like Aubameyang turns 29 later this year. And, Lacazette turns 27 later this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I would, even if, and it, dep- it depends again on Alexander Lacazette's mentality, right? Like, is he willing to bide his time, try to find his comfort zone in the Premier League, which, as we've said many times, almost to the point that it's a cliche platitude, can be difficult for players to adjust to. If he's willing to do that, then when he is 28 and Obama Yang is 30, then and maybe Aubameyang's lost a step and Lacazette has yet to do so and he's found his footing in England, then you know what? Maybe he pips Aubameyang for his place in the team. And it, 
it remains to be seen whether or not he has a the gumption to stick it out and try to do that and b the ability to do it. But I, you know, I, I don't think that Arsenal signing Aubameyang should they do so. And all I mean, the signs point to that. I mean, they should. But, yeah, well, they absolutely should. And you know, like they have they have a delegation of top executives in Germany right now, right? Like this is not a sun mirror transfer kerfuffle that is just a bunch of hot air. The Arsenal are trying to sign this player. And just one we, very big important question now. From okay, well, should Aubameyang come and and make Lacazette a very expensive bench warmer? Should that happen? Who starts for France if both their strikers are sitting on Arsenal's bench? Well, I mean, no, if okay, they would well, sign Aubameyang, that makes Giroud expendable. Giroud will. Well, and and there is a there's a decent chance that this ends up being another player swap plus cash deal. Giroud's going to Dortmund. I mean, there was he was linked with Dortmund this summer. Oh boy, does he not fit in there? Yeah, oh, that's, that's a disaster. That's true. Yeah. Oh my lord. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's uh, I like I said, there is there is empirical evidence that Arsenal have sent a high-ranking delegation to Germany to try to make this transfer final. But until until well, you know that that I'm willing to say that's on the table. But until it is actually final, the terms of it are pure speculation. Who knows? I, I mean, it's possible that Giroud was part of an initial offer. It's possible that his name was never even mentioned in the negotiating room. It'll be interesting to see here. We got about a week left of the January transfer window. And I mean, we've heard rumblings that Chelsea, you know, maybe they should take a look at Giroud also. So I think that if they do sign Aubameyang, if it's just for money, then you can always find someone to buy Giroud. And then, like I said, like you said, very expensive bench warmer, but also a quality bench warmer. He will keep that bench so warm. <laughs> Although I bet his butt is smaller than Giroud's. I mean, is there a bigger butt than Giroud in the Premier League? I don't know. And uh, Carroll. Andy Carroll. Oh, Andy Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Uh, let's take our break here. When we come back, we'll take a look at some of the results here over the weekend. So stick around. Okay, and we're back. Uh, the biggest upset over this match week was Swansea won Liverpool nil. Uh, Liverpool went from beating Manchester City to losing to Swansea. So Liverpool being Liverpool. And, um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, literally. Yeah. I mean, this was such a letdown. And, Paul, you, mean, you flagged for it. You flagged for it last episode. You were like, this could be a letdown game. I and did. It was. And, I, and then I went ahead and like picked Liverpool to score like three goals. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon McCarthy, is a, he's a major league baseball pitcher. Very entertaining Twitter fellow. He's a big <laughs> Liverpool fan. And he tweeted after this game, if you just became a Liverpool fan nine days ago, this is it. He goes, this is the entire fan experience. And I was like, yep, that's the best way to sum it up. Oh, uh, that's great. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, we, we saw on Sunday Spurs struggle. They only got a 1-1 draw at Southampton. And then Liverpool goes and does this on Monday. So, I mean, it was good for teams like Manchester United, Chelsea, and Arsenal that both Spurs and Liverpool drop points. I mean, I mean it, it was at least the the top four race intact, even if the 
Premier League I mean, it, trophy. It, it doesn't just keep the top four race intact. It lights a fire under the relegation race. Yeah, like Everton are like six points above them. Yeah, I mean, it, there's only eight points separating Swansea that are in 20th place and Everton in ninth. Yeah. I mean, and think about all the teams that are terrible in between them. Yes. You, you, got, <laughs> you got Watford, who are on a free fall and just fired their manager. West Ham, who are actually on the rise. Bournemouth, who are, are putting something together. Crystal Palace, who are kind of on the rise. But Huddersfield, Newcastle, Brighton, Stoke, Southampton, West Brom. They're all terrible. And right above them, uh, I mean, right above Everton, but still six points clear of them, are Burnley, who can't win a game, who can't even get a draw anymore. So they're going to fall right into this soon, assuming any of these teams can put together enough points to catch them. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's it is, the big thing. If, if, like, current form continues apace, it is not unthinkable that there could be a 10-club relegation battle, even maybe as late as April. Yeah, no, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be safe until, you know, this is one of those like the transfer deal is not done until you see the guy holding up the shirt. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would not be convinced that you're not getting relegated until like Monday morning, the day after the final day of the season. Like, <laughs> I would be like, even at 7 p.m., I would be like, well, they might still come out with a ruling that like we didn't act. Like, they might recount our points. Yeah, uh, we may not I, have gotten he, them. He doesn't like Watford, and so Watford get the drop. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like we said, bottom of the half, really, really tight right now. And, you know, if you take a look further up that race for fourth right now, you have Liverpool in fourth place, 47 points, Spurs 45, and then Arsenal 42. And then you got no man's land with Leicester and Burnley. So at least there's a lot of action on both and sides. And what's, what's funny is Arsenal, are, they're what? They're five points out of the top four. They're... Uh, eight points above Leicester, and at the moment they're still not even in a Europa League spot. Yeah, I, I mean, if Bristol wins the League Cup and somebody else wins the FA Cup, Arsenal get nothing. Yep. Even right. though they're pretty, it, it's almost. I won't. I won't say that they're locked into six because you know they could easily catch Tottenham uh, if they start playing well and they still play Tottenham. So right there, if they win that game, that's three points. But. I mean, they're they're pretty much locked into not finishing worse than that, and still the Europa League is not anything to uh to snuff at. But I, the relegation, it's so ridiculous. And Watford now becomes the eighth team to fire their manager. Yeah, yeah, that's and, crazy. Uh, what, what kind of what kind of job security we got? I mean, I think that it's you know we've talked about the the kind of manager merry-go-round that is the Premier League, but honestly, I think that. You know, boards get an itchy trigger finger because of the amount of money on offer, you know? It's and not, I think that's I just one of the ways it's changed that. the game. I don't even think it's that. I think the boards are looking... Well, first of all, Marco Silva was unsettled by Everton, and the board has already accused him of that. There's been, like, a falling out where players got upset. Marco Silva apparently wanted to leave for Everton, um, and players wanted to go with him, and it caused a huge issue in the locker room, and they had to get rid of him. Yeah. But I think boards are also looking around, and... And and they're looking at these other teams that have already pulled the trigger and made the move for a new manager, and it's worked out well, like Crystal Palace and yep. and Everton up until you know the last few games. They they brought in new managers, and they all of a sudden started playing better, and they started winning. But the question, I, think, the, I, I don't know. The question for me though is, Paulie, similar to what you were just saying, is that you got to wait until a couple hours after the final match day to know for real, like was that little 
Cinderella period enough to save us from the drop? Or did we just splash a bunch of wages on somebody who, you know, had a couple good games and the squad got fired up and then he still fell into the muck with the mediocre group of players? I mean, yeah, that's that's going to happen to almost all these guys because all these yeah. players, all these teams are just mediocre. They're all overpaid and they're all, you know, they they stop listening to the manager right away. And you're right. Uh, the board also sees everything else and says, you got a quick trigger on this and there's just no jobs. There's no manager who can come in anymore and just say, look, this is how we're going to do things. And there's no patience anymore. You know, sometimes a manager can come in and say like, all right, that 19-year-old, he's going to be a big-time player for me, but I can't play him yet because he's not ready. And in two years, he's going to be ready. But, like, I want more players like him. Like, let's bring in it, bring them in and build the team because you're probably not going to be here in, in two years. So you need to bring in veteran players. And then uh, there's the whole gelling period because they're, they haven't come up in the same system. So there's so many things working against you. And, and moreover, if – the manager comes in and doesn't get along with one of the players. They don't have the luxury of being able to go, all right, I don't, you, you don't see eye to eye with me. You're out and have the, the, there's nobody has the clout to be able to do that anymore. So if you do that and you lose three games, you're out, you're out the door. I mean, Watford, they were in a really bad run of form already reports though, that Southampton um, wants to go after him. So, <laughs> Uh, he'll land on his feet. He, uh, he seems like a very gifted manager, so I, I wouldn't be too worried. So we'll see what happens there. Southampton, they need all the help they can get. I think they have one win in 15 games. Uh, yeah, well, they just got a draw against against Tottenham. They're, that's, I mean, That's it, something. <laughs> right, well, I mean, here's what it comes down to with Southampton is they just kept churning out, you know, generational talent after generational talent after generational talent. It's not that the well's eventually going to dry up. It's just, you know, eventually you're not going to, you're going to have a year where your academy class doesn't produce all star talent. It produces yeah. above average talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's what's happening. The, the list of players that they have sold in the last decade would field easily a competitive top six team, probably a competitive you know, top four team if Gareth Bale is included in there, which obviously he is. So it's just, it's... Oh, but then we got to include Theo Walcott, and that just drives it down. (laughs) Hey, how about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, huh? Oh, well, you need a role player. You need role players. Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, but, like, the likes of, you know, the likes of... Sadio Mane and Gareth Bale and Virgil van Dyke. They also, they, it was the way that they signed players was very, you know, they hit on everybody. They hit on Morgan Schneider, who hasn't been the same since he left. They hit on Toby Alderweireld. Um, You know, they they brought in some other, some other really, really good players that, that, you know, that they found, you know, the, the Angol Contes of the world. They found these cheap players and they brought them in. Um, uh, What's his face? Alderweireld was a lone, was a lone player. They're not getting that anymore. You know, you, you you can't just keep replacing uh, you you can't lose Adam Alana, replace him with Sadio Mane, and then replace him with who? You yeah. know, eventually it dries up. I mean, the, the thing is, my question is, like, they have had such insanely remarkable success as a selling club 
first and foremost a selling club, you know. Right, and they and they take pride in that. They 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 own it. They say that's what we are. Yeah, yeah. like they're they're an extremely successful farm team. But what you know, like what is what's over the horizon for a team like that, for a club like that, I should say. Yeah, but I you mean, know, they, are they are there ambitions to eventually not be that to have this great academy and then you know in establish themselves as the homegrown contenders in England or is their ambition simply keep cash and checks and you know have the Saints sing their songs and be frustrated because Southampton will be mid-table to relegation battle and they'll get well, a I lot think, of money for the board. I think they found what they wanted when they finished seventh and they went to the Europa League and it's if we can continue that you know they were very much like all right we didn't we finished seventh let's not try to get any better right away it's yeah. Let's finish seventh, eighth, ninth, four, five, six years in a row and continue to develop our talent. And and then like when once we've established ourselves there and we have that foundation, then we can do something. But Which, we're not trying again, to build on a non foundation. Right now it's it's but but also this club has had financial issues. So yeah, right now the fans are they're happy that they're staying afloat. You know, now it's how can they have uh, financial issues when they've sold players to Liverpool yeah. for I don't know how many millions? They had financial issues before they came back up. Oh, before, before, they li- came back before up, Liverpool they... made them a farm team. Okay. Right. They had financial issues. So, yeah. It's, so, yes, right there they were like, look, if we can do this and and rake in the money and, and get ourselves financially sound and build they, – they, they built a brand spanking new academy that's gorgeous you know they're investing that money into the club they're just not doing it into players they're doing it into the club and eventually they're 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 transitioning into players but they also want to develop those guys they have been hurt by the fact that james ward prowse was supposed to be this unbelievable midfielder and he's turned out to be just completely average um well i still feel i still feel like they have a squad that's a lot better than where they're at right now in 18th place yeah i mean dusan tadich is supposed to be really good and he's just turned out to be completely average. Well, and I think of... that Gabbiadini was another signing that they hoped it would be just like. And he's turned what, out to like... be completely average. Exactly. It, I mean, I don't. I for me, Paulie, I think you're totally right in that. I think that I mean that was that was clearly their long term strategy is that we're gunning for seventh or eighth place, and that's just fine. But my question lies in the future, right? Like, is that. Was that strategy supposed to be step one for a larger plan that then uses that financial solvency as a springboard for something more in terms of a football competitive nature? Yes. Or or was it just, let's keep cashing these checks, and if we get relegated, that's too bad. But hey, at least now we're in the black for a few years. Well, no, but like think about what Tottenham was. For a while, Tottenham was just that team that they competed with Everton for fifth. And it was, let's establish ourselves there, and then we'll make the jump. Yeah, but I'm just did. Yes, but at the same time, I'm not. And again, it pains me to do this as an Arsenal supporter, but also it's my job to be objective about Spurs. And that I think that not only were their ambitions already clear that they were higher than that, but also beyond that, that their position in London as a rival of Arsenal in North London in like a wealth like, like Southampton does not have that kind of London club mystique. And I, you know, I don't, this is no, I am sure that actually I feel bad because one of my friends in London is a Saints friend from Southampton, but sorry, Harry. But at the same time, 
like I'm not I'm not convinced that their brand is as marketable. And you know what? That's exactly what we're it's talking about. It's not. And that's why their their thing was we're gonna sell players, we're gonna make money, but they're so confident in their academy that yeah, that they can compete. And and that's all that's happened is, you know, their academy produced all star talent for years and it might still do that. But you know, you're relying on um you're relying on a on kids that are born and grow up in a very small area. And if, and you know, some years they're just not going to be, they're not going to be as good. Like, you know, Seb, you, you watch the world junior championships in hockey, just like I do. And you know, there was a couple years ago where Canada just like didn't, you know, they lost in the quarterfinals and Canada was like in this whole crisis. Was it, they were like, is it the coaches that the players they are like, maybe the kids born that this year just aren't as good as the kids that have been born in all the other years. Yeah. And that happens. That happens. Yeah, I just, very, very I'm, true. I'm just not, I, I Polly, I hope that you're right. And I hope that, you know, from an altruistic sporting point of view, I hope that the Saints avoid the drop and that they do ultimately kind of push forth and are able to mount a consistent top five challenge. I'm just not sure that I, I'm not sure that I see it because I think that, you know, the people in charge of Southampton Football Club know far better than we do the drawbacks of their brand in terms of marketing ability. But I'm just not sure what their long-term goals are in terms of just, like, stay in the Premier League, cash those checks, establish some fiscal solvency and some solid ground financially. And then, you know what? That's fine if you get relegated and try to get back up next year. I, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not sure where their priorities lie, uh, and I, I don't know. I don't know that it's even possible to know where their priorities lie unless you're attending those board meetings. Yeah, and I, I, another thing, I think they need more consistency on the manager position too. This is a team that yeah, I think that, would yes. would benefit of having a long term yeah. view with the manager. I mean. It, they've always been victim of their own success. I mean, Pochettino did well, then he got a move. Kuman did very well, then he got a move. Yeah. So you need someone who gets the results, but also wants to stay and not just seeing Southampton as a stepping stone to something. Well, and again, that's better. and that's. I mean, that's a very good point, Seb. But I feel like that also, you know, all, we as I said, we don't we're not behind those closed doors for these meetings. But I take all of those departures is potentially a sign that, you know what, maybe the atmosphere at the club, the atmosphere in those meetings is that what we're doing is fine. Sixth, seventh, eighth place is fine. And that's, that's what our goal is. And that's what our ambitions are. And so if you're uh, Mauricio Pochettino, then you say, okay, my ambitions are more than that. I'm going to go to a club like Tottenham to try to realize them. Yeah, we'll see what happens down the line with Southampton, but I think Marco Silva would be a good fit for them. With that, we're going to say goodbye. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Polly's P. Quistel. Elliot is Keats was better. Give FanRig Sports a follow as well. And um, we'll talk to you next time. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.